the church gives us these scripture readings on Sunday mornings on a three-year cycle, so that over the course of a number of decades, we know these scriptures pretty well. The church repeats these scriptures, not so that we will know the end of the story, but that these scriptures might penetrate more deeply into our hearts, that we might be changed by the proclamation of these scriptures, becoming more and more each and every year closer to the Lord and more Christ-like in our words and in our deeds. We are called through these words that we heard this morning, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we are called to conversion of heart. Conversion certainly means that initial hearing of the gospel, that initial turning away from sin, turning toward the Lord, and being drawn into the church and her sacraments. That is certainly conversion. But there's another kind of conversion, what the Benedictines call the ongoing conversion of life, listening to the scriptures each and every day, bringing the scriptures to prayer, and asking the Holy Spirit to help us change in our own lives what needs to be changed so that we might, to use a phrase that we use around here quite a bit, so that we might become a better version of ourselves. So my question for you, and my question for myself, is what do we have to learn from the striking contrast between the arrogant Pharisee and the humble tax collector. What is God telling you, telling me, what needs to change in our lives? What is God trying to tell us by presenting once again the famous adage, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What in your life needs to change? What do you need to do more of? What do you need to refrain from doing? What do we have to learn from our Lord's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? As much as we admire the humility of the tax collector, who prays, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we look at the Pharisee, goodness, what an arrogant man. The essence of arrogance is the sin of pride, the deadliest of all the sins. Pride is defined as disordered self-love, disordered 
self-love, which implies that there is a properly ordered self-love. And unfortunately, in the English language, the word pride can mean both kinds of self-love. For example, is there anything wrong with a person saying, I'm proud of my grandchild's accomplishments? Or agreeing with a supervisor who says, I can tell that you really take great pride in your work. Is there anything wrong with that kind of pride? Heavens, no. Being proud of another person means taking delight in the accomplishments of someone you love, someone you care about, someone you know. This is a good thing, an admirable thing, to notice and praise virtue and goodness in another person. And the employee who takes pride in his or her work, the one who strives to do a really good job, the one who refuses to cut corners, the one who consistently turns in work reflecting the very best that they can do. This is also a good thing. It is an example of the virtue of justice, giving to the other person his or her due. You aren't paid to slack off. You're not paid to waste time. You're not paid to do a mediocre job. You are paid to do your best so that your work will be a credit to your employer. This is the good kind of pride. This is properly ordered self-love. You love yourself enough that you strive to do what you do for the glory and honor of God, the God who made you, the God who gave you your talents and abilities, the God who gave you opportunities to learn and develop your gifts, the God who watches over you so that you can do your very best for years and years to come. There's nothing wrong with taking pride in your work as long as you remember to give God the credit and as long as you don't look down your nose at those who do not share your ethic. But the other kind of pride, the sinful pride, that's a deadly sin. The sinful kind of pride is self-righteousness, an arrogance that always involves looking down on other people, belittling others, and despising others. This kind of pride, sadly, can be found all over the place. And perhaps, just perhaps, you might notice some of this kind of pride in the person who looks back at you in the mirror. God gives us this parable for a reason. God gives us this parable that we might be less self-righteous 
and more humble. Some examples of pride. The know-it-all. The one who must always be right. The one who is too arrogant to learn the errors of his ways. The one who is so arrogant that he has no help. The one whose wife visits him in the hospital and said, says, I tried to tell you to wear a bicycle helmet, but you were too arrogant to listen to me. Other examples. One who is pushy and rude. One who drives a car without regard for the safety of others. One who treats everything as a competition. One who lacks empathy. One who makes fun of others. One who can't tell a story without putting someone down. One who consistently belittles others. This is the sin of pride. What is the remedy? The remedy for the sin of pride is practicing the virtue of humility. The word humility comes from the word homus, which means earth. The homus that we buy at the grocery store tastes good, but it looks like dirt, doesn't it? Homus, humility, one who is down to earth, one who is conscious that he or she is here for a reason. Our Lord humbled himself to share in our humanity, humbling himself even unto death on a cross. Humility means imitating the Lord in his care and concern for others. Humility does not mean thinking less of ourselves, it does mean thinking of ourselves less. I'll say that again. Humility does not mean thinking less of ourselves. It does mean thinking of ourselves less. We practice humility in our prayer, falling to our knees in profound gratitude to God for the many gifts that he has given to us, examining our conscience honestly and like the tax collector, humbly confessing our faults, our grievous faults, what we have done and what we have failed to do, opening our hearts to to praying that God's will might be done just as our Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass, but not as I will, but thy will be done. That's humility. As we make use of the Holy Rosary to meditate upon the mysteries of our Lord's life, death, and resurrection, may we imitate what they contain and obtain what they promise. May we take notice of the humility of our Lord and our Lady. 
May we make the changes that we are called to make. For whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 